strong open. Lots of lots of screaming. J-Man or Waylon's in there going crazy. And then Jeffrey Nothing comes in and just fucking ruins it. Piling it too high. Oh, God. Talk not saying anything. Does somebody like Grandpa get what the microphone. Be high. Grandpa, take your fucking pills and go to sleep. You're not in a metal band, Grandpa. Get the fuck out. And if you kill tomorrow because you had a bad day, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan. You know it. And the time has come for Mushroom Head. Mush Mush Head. Is that how it goes? I, I think that would have been a better name. Mushy Head, this Mush Mush Head. It's starting to sound like an inappropriate adult pastime. How about, how about Mushy Brain? Even worse. Yeah. Even worse. That's kind of the theme of this episode. I mean, let's get into it. I mean, what do we what do we know about Mushroom Head, right? We know Mushroom Head's a band from Cleveland, Ohio, that rose to popularity in their local scene in the mid '90s, but then rose to mainstream popularity in the early 2000s. Are they mainstream? Are they really, or are they just like that other band? Well, they were recognized by mainstream record labels. They were on Universal. They were on Universal. That is accurate. Were. Yeah, now I think they're on Megaforce Records. So were they brought to the front because they were similar to other bands? I don't think so. I'm trying not to mention it. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mushroom had appeared after Slipknot and Mudvayne had achieved popularity. Super theatrical band. Um, There's like 400 dudes in the band, and they, they have two vocalists, which is highly unnecessary, which we'll get into. And um, you know, they got a, let's see, they got two singers, a keyboard player, two guitarists, a bass player, a drummer, and then don't they have another guy for samples? Yeah, they've got the stereotypical 90s DJ. Yeah, so Mushroom Head is a huge deal if you're from Cleveland. And to prove that, here's a message I got from a listener in Cleveland. Almost every guy in the band acts like an entitled prick. Hint, the drummer, Skinny, does everything. He's the only dude that's allowed to have an attitude. Those guys get paid like a regular office job just to be on his beck and call, and they still complain. Assholes. All right, we'll come back to that later. Well, before Um, we come back to that, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify. Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here in Discography Discussion, mostly because it makes me feel really good whenever I have low self-esteem. But another good reason... So every single day almost every day it's just constant pain every minute i'm alive (laughs) but beyond that we really need these reviews because they help us come up in search results you know i think a lot of people like discussion podcasts specifically about metal bands or maybe sometimes not metal bands but the only way they're ever going to find us through all of that you know if if we're highly reviewed if we're highly rated uh listened to all that good stuff and that's why we need you guys to step in and and let people know what you think of discography discussion You can leave us reviews pretty much anywhere that allows you to. Uh, Stitcher, iTunes, really anything. I don't know about TuneIn, but if it lets you, then do it. It's all good. It is all good. 
Leave us a review. Whatever kind of review you think we deserve. We really appreciate it. And we love everybody that has given us reviews so far. I want to take this time to say thank you to all of our patrons. But a special shout out goes to Alexander, Jake Barrett, Jeffrey De Los Santos, the actual Mac, and Zach Barr. You guys are awesome, and thank you to all of our patrons for helping us to make this podcast happen every single week. And we hope you're enjoying those individual album reviews. With more to come very soon, I believe Dan has a plan for 21? 21 albums that I've never heard before. Actually, I've heard most of them now. Uh, That being said, I'm going to be uploading these unknown bands. Uh, I'm going to do little mini reviews for them. Sometimes Joe will be there, sometimes he won't. Sometimes Jeff will be there, sometimes he won't. Sometimes on any other random person that I can convince to come and talk about some random band nobody's ever heard of. So uh, it should be fun. But uh, you guys on Patreon, you're going to get that first. Uh, and then I think probably you know in a few months we'll upload it to the main feed for the rest of the world here. And real quick, I also wanted to talk about a YouTube show that I am becoming a very fast fan of. And that would be Good Company with Scott Bowling. You guys might remember Scott Bowling from our Bride episode as well as our He rock. really wanted to talk about Bride. He did. He did. And, and, and we did because that's what we do. Um, but Scott has a YouTube channel called Good Company, and uh, he interviews some pretty prominent people. And it's really high production value, like really high-def cameras. Like you really get in there. And uh, he's had he's had on-screen conversations with Brian Head Welch from Corn, almost everybody in Fozzie at this point. And uh, he did one with Michael Sweet of Striper. Uh, Sonny from P.O.D. Sonny from P.O.D. That was a really good one. But, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're really into interviews and you want to see a really slickly produced interview with an artist that you know and respect, you look no further than Good Company. Literally one of the best YouTube shows I've seen. So, Dan, tell me about Mushroom Head. If you want, dude. <laughs> Mushroom Head, as I said, is a very theatrical band. They all basically wear, they're like grown ups wearing Halloween costumes on stage. So you could take a band like Guar or a band like Slipknot or even you could throw Alice Cooper in there. Um, but there's one caveat Mushroom Head is not anywhere as good as any of the bands that we just mentioned. Are they as good as their core fan base insists that they are? Because I'm a fan of Mushroom Head. I've been a fan of Mushroom Head since 2001 when I walked into that Best Buy and picked up this CD called Double X. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was Double X. But to answer your question, the answer is a resounding no. They are nowhere as good as the fans would make you believe that they are. And I know that's that's a little rough. Uh, We try to stay as positive as we can on this podcast, but I had to listen to all these albums, so... I don't have a whole lot of really nice things to say, but I'll try my best to behave. I have good things to say about the good songs, and I know that sounds kind of cheesy. When I think of Mushroom Head, I wasn't in Cleveland, Ohio in the 90s. I don't have copies of Super Buick and M3 or the self-titled Mushroom Head laying around from the 90s. I've got some re-releases, digital copies. So for me, the first record is Double X. And we didn't know at the time that it was a Greatest Hits. And it really is, unfortunately, a Greatest Hits. Yeah, it very much is that. Um, Episode 29, 43, Blomp, Before I Die. These are songs that I think are staples of Mushroom Head. It just turns out that it's the songs that everybody likes. I I don't know about everybody. Um, You are playing the middle of the field on this one. I mean, I I really am, and I'm, I'm trying to... 
be as objective as possible here. So I mean, let's let's just get into it, man. Let's let's really go and and take a look at what I'm talking about here. Self-titled Mushroom Head. Self-titled Mushroom Head. 1995, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, the Mushroom Head piano sound. It will be with you for the remainder of this podcast. Yeah, it starts <laughs> it starts off with a song called Slow Thing. And it's basically just piano. Get used to that. Uh, there's a lot of piano in Mushroom Head. And uh, so this first song is basically an instrumental with... Uh, some like public domain uh, audio samples on there about LSD use, like you know, some really old like public service announcement type of thing about LSD. So things don't really start kicking off until you get to the second track, Elevation, and this introduces a little bit of what the Mushroom Head sound was going to be, um, kind of anthemy drums, you know, lots of samples and a chug that probably sounded really good in 1995 but doesn't translate too well now Uh, but i'm not going to knock it for that because you know it was what it was in 1995 the first thing that i notice right off the bat that sets me off is the vocals of one jeffrey nothing hopefully you like this guy because if you don't you're gonna have a bad time i have grown to love the sound of jeffrey nothing's voice in Mushroom Head. Going back to what I said earlier, my first experience was Double X. I kind of thought J-Man was the lead vocalist. And Jeffrey Nothing was just the ambient voice. He was the guy that broke the tension and made space between the hip-hop vocals. But then I look back on these older records and, no, Jeffrey's the lead guy, kind of. Yeah, he is. And this album is mostly Jeffrey Nothing. There's a little bit of J-Man in there, but he's not really the he's not really what he would become later on. A little more of a hype man on this record. Yeah, like you can still hear him, but he's not he's not coming at you, you know, cutthroat style like he did before. You know, and that or not, I mean that, that he would do after like J-Man really developed. But the first Mushroom Head album is mostly throwaway for me because it's just really spacey. It has a lot of it's it's basically a bunch of audio samples and uh, and piano pieces with like maybe five or six songs. It's almost like they took a demo and we're just like, how do we extend this shit out to 57 minutes? The production quality is not great. I'm going to give it a pass for being 95 and it being an independent band. But this one did not do, really did not do anything for me. They're not even really recognizable as Mushroom Head here, which I mean, based on what I'm going to say about their later material might be a good thing. 1996 then. Super Buick, a.k.a. the best Mushroom Head album, kinda. Yeah, I mean, it's the most recognizable one. It's my favorite. If you, if I could pick one album that I think is the best, it's a definitely a strong tie between Super Buick and a later album that they did called Save Your Sorrow. What happened to Dan Loves Double X? Well, a lot of the songs that were on Double X are on Super Buick. It was a pretty solid album for them. It starts off with Blomp, which is probably the most iconic Mushroom Head song. You know, it, it didn't open up Double X, but it basically did, because Before I Die actually opened it up, but that song sucks. So Blomp was kind <laughs> of the your first. your mouth. <laughs> Blomp was, uh, we might have to title this episode Dan versus Joe. 
Um, Insert bell noise now. Right. I thought Bwomp was cool because it has kind of a rave vibe to it with a little bit of like white zombie guitars in there. And J-Man leads it off whispering and then rapping and then yelling and doing all the cool J-Man stuff. And then Jeffrey Nothing comes in and just fucking ruins it because he's growling in too high. Like, he, like it's hard to describe this guy's voice like using normal terms. So I'm just going to say it would be like if you took Jay Gordon from Orgy and aged him by 400 years and then told him that, you know, he was in Marilyn Manson. Well said. I mean, I think that really is the only way I can describe it to where it makes sense to me. I think the biggest mistake people make in this part of the hard rock heavy metal fandom is they label Marilyn Manson as a metal band. He's not. But I could see somebody looking at this band. Actually, you kind of said it best. I think this is rave metal. I think they started as, we're going to do rave music as a metal band. I think they're okay as a rave techno gothy sort of band. But I don't think that they're very successful at being a metal band, which is what they're marketed as. All of this stuff is so piano-driven, which is not a bad thing. In this particular case, I feel like the meshing of the two styles, it doesn't sound the way the band thinks it sounds. Like, I think they're seeing this as a seamless blending of styles, and it's not seamless at all. It's very jolting, especially when you've got J-Man. Like, I think J-Man sounds really good as a vocalist, very strong, especially for the 90s era of Mushroom Head. He sounds good. He sounds authoritative when he raps. He sounds cool whispering. He's got a cool speaking voice. Everything about the dude is strong vocalist material. But what I'm getting at is, like, you can't take somebody that's that strong and then mix them with a Jeffrey Nothing. I mean, you can. They've been doing it for years. Except for that one time. But it's jolting as, it's jolting as shit for me because I really get into what J-Man's doing, and then as soon as Jeffrey Nothing comes in, it completely just takes me out of it. And sometimes I can look past the vocals. I mean, I'm an extreme metal fan, so vocals aren't necessarily like a deal breaker if they're not that great or, you know, maybe they're too extreme or not extreme enough or whatever. Like, I'm not worried about it. But whenever somebody's voice is that prominent and that distracting, like, it becomes a big issue because now when I'm listening to the songs, I'm dreading hearing them. Do you think he got better or did he just find the best voice he could do and owned it? I think he got better at what he does. I just hate what he does. You know, and that and that and maybe that's a personal thing, but I, I think that most people listening to this are going to find it annoying. You're like me when Rob Zombie isn't having a good show or Marilyn Manson is drunk both times. I get it, man. Your style and the way you present the vocals, it's your thing. You kind of do it to be a dick 20 years ago, 30 years ago almost. And now it's just your thing, but you're fucking drunk. It doesn't sound good. And I can tell you're phoning it in because fuck it. I'm drunk. They bought tickets. I don't give a shit. I don't think it's drunkenness necessarily. Maybe. I think what it is is that I can look past the vocals for the most part with most bands. The problem is that the band itself isn't compelling enough musically to allow me to overlook that. I mean, if you're like... If you've got a massive erection for keyboards and piano-driven pieces, Mushroom Head's your band, hands down. I, f I feel like the keyboard player knows, his, knows what he's doing. The guitarist knows what he's doing sometimes. 
both of them. And the drumming just, for lack of a better word, is laughably bad in places. Like, it's, it's trying to be metal drumming, but it's not really complicated. Wait till we get to simple survival. <laughs> it's, it gets bad. It gets bad. Uh, but the thing is, is that, like, yes, I think J-Man sounds good. I think Jeffrey Nothing sounds like shit. And the band's meshing of metal and symphonic elements is not working here. There is an entire genre of music called symphonic metal. And this isn't even, like on the same fucking street as symphonic metal. This is like a band that's playing like new metal-ish guitars and throwing a piano over it, or maybe they're playing a beautiful piano piece and throwing new metal-ish guitars over it. I don't know which one it is. I'm not sure what the approach is on each song, but it annoys me that there are good elements to it. Like I like some of the more atmospheric um, symphonic pieces, but then the band itself comes in and ruins it because they're playing this weird new metal thing over it. And so like they don't they don't go together. It's like Skittles and Fish. Like it just doesn't mix. So let's jump to M3. Let's please. AKA um, part 3 of Double X. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I'm so, pissing people off right now. But well, that's yeah. just how I I see this. Yeah, so M3 has more better more production songs. value slightly better the i mean songs I think- themselves are better produced written composed if you will but this is the one where i have to really ignore what jeffrey's doing to enjoy it it's distracting more so on this record than on the last one this is the record especially like solitaire unraveling which is one of their big hits before i die even I want Mushroom Head with just J-Man, and I know I'm not going to get that. And I would probably be upset with it if I did have it, because, okay, dude, you've been talking fast this whole time. Stop it. I'm okay with it. Uh, I, I would love to hear Mushroom Head with just J-Man, but not really. Like, I, I want to just hear J-Man. I'm not even, it doesn't even have to be Mushroom Head. Have you listen to any of his hip-hop stuff? No, but I'm sure it's great. I like J-Man as a vocalist. I think he's fantastic. I think Jeffrey is not as fantastic but he's like all over the band like they like whenever whenever he signed on to do vocals or whatever i don't know what order it was i i'm assuming he was the original vocalist for the band like lead vocalist but like they act like man we we scored a home run with this guy he's fantastic and i mean i'm not going to spend time talking shit on his vocals for the whole hour or, or however long we do this but i guess what i'm getting at is that these are not songs that are written by a professional mainstream act they were a local cleveland band and it shows the production quality is not very great on these first three records they might get a free pass but they definitely beefed these songs up whenever they re-released them on double x you know the production quality is better it's remastered i'm sure parts of it are re-recorded some of them are almost straight from the actual releases with just you know maybe a remix or a remaster thrown on there um that being said this probably represents probably the best mushroom head material overall because every single element of mushroom head exists on those first three records and the band is pretty much still doing the same shit now in 2018 do you think they deviated at all especially during j-man's absence yeah a little bit and and we'll get into that because it actually does get better for a little while so you know we we've talked about the double x material i would say that the positives of the double x material is it's more raw Uh, The heavier parts come across a little bit more aggressively just because it sounds like a raw underground band 
that doesn't really have mainstream aspirations. I don't necessarily think they were trying to get popular on these first three records. And I'm surprised that they built up as much of a fan base as they did because, again, their parts don't really mesh together that well. And some of their music is, and a lot of their music is a chore to listen to. Unfairly, I don't know how they got signed to Universal. From my perspective, my little musical bubble in St. Louis, they were a band that kind of looked like Slipknot in 2001 when Double X was released. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things led to that. One, rapping vocals, which were, you know, very popular in the early 2000s. Masks. Masks. Just DJ in the band. Masks, DJ. You know I mean? They, they, Keyboard they, player, dual guitars. Mushroom Head sounds incredible on paper. They do. Like, short of actually hearing the band, it all sounds like a home run. But then you listen to it and realize that, you know, they are got some pretty rough edges. They tried smoothing all of that out if we're, if we're willing to jump on to 13. I think we are. Um, you know, we talked about 13 on Patreon, and we are much nicer about it, I think, than I'm going to be tonight. Maybe I'm just moody, and it just depends on what day I, what day it is, because I feel like I've been giving Mushroom Head the benefit of the doubt for like 15 years. And to quote Josh Toomey, if I'm still giving the band a try after 15 years, you know, maybe they're not going to ever make it into my regular rotation. To be fair, you've never sat down and listened to every Mushroom Head record. No, no, just this week. And, you know, hearing it all together gave me a much different perspective because normally I'm looking for the good. I'm asking if the good outweighs the bad. And I'll let you know how I feel about that when we get to the end. But 13 was basically just like double X, but much more smoothed out. That was the biggest thing for me is that it had a huge budget and sounded like a very professional record, like a mainstream sort of thing. But unfortunately, the band that's playing it is Mushroomhead. Jeffrey Nothing is all over this record. And he sounds better, but when you don't like the way his voice sounds, hearing it in better quality isn't going to like change your <laughs> mind on it. Now you're just hearing what you don't like with more clarity. And uh, so, like, when he starts the record off, you know, one, two, we can if we want. I'm like, fuck, man. And then J-Man comes in and kind of saves it, but then it, then it's gone again. And I feel like there's just not enough J-Man on this record. The band is still playing very basic shit, like, musically. The piano makes it seem more textured than it really is. But, like, when Mushroom Head wants to play a slow dirgy song, it's just, like, very verse, chorus, verse, repetitive, repetitive, repetitive and then whenever they want to go really heavy, they're only capable of making like one heavy sound. Um, there was a track on here that was, I think it's the dream. Is it the dream is over that had the dude from Meshuga on it? Yeah, the dream is over had the singer of Meshuga on it, which is surprising actually. He actually sounds really good with J-Man. It's probably the best song on the record, but like you hear the first 30 seconds of that song and then you've heard the rest of it and it just goes on and on and on for three minutes and it's the, just the same shit over and over and over again which leads me to believe that mushroom head really hasn't mastered the art of being heavy but that's what they're trying to do they fail where disturbed gets a pass they are very repetitive when you're not supposed to be paying attention to the guitars i'm not complaining this is my favorite record by mushroom head not because I think it's the best, but this is the album that I got after Double X. It was more of that. I didn't know at the time that Double X was a greatest hits. So this was more of their greatest hits. And it hasn't aged well. 
So for me, it's nostalgic. I like it. Everything that's being done, maybe with the exception of J-Man's vocals, are done better by another band. Well, absolutely. Like, it's it's like there's no real song craft behind what Mushroom Head does. They just get really into the concept of having a specific sound for a song without really fleshing out like all the varying parts. And so what you get is this very theatrical band, you know, with masks, a full stage show, lights, you name like water drums, like you name it. They've got all this crazy shit going on on stage. And all of that more or less works to distract you from the fact that you're listening to really basic pedestrian rock songs. I don't know that that's a problem though. If bands are supposed to be performers and live music is supposed to be about the show, there are those bands that focus on the theatrics and the music by comparison is extremely mediocre. Kiss. Well, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're 100% right that it is all about the stage show, but that's what it makes it hard for me to listen to it, you know, and, and review it and really think about, you know, what is what is unique about it. And there are some really cool parts on some of these songs. Like, uh, I really liked uh, I really liked the song um, One More Day, even though it was kind of a slower, dirgier song, and it goes on a little longer than it probably should. Nowhere to go, man. All day long. Yeah, Nowhere to Go is cool. Uh, J-Man's vocals really saved that song. But again, it's just, it's all very basic. And maybe that's better than the weird shit they were doing on the first three albums. Because I feel like if you were an underground Mushroomhead fan of those first three records and then you go to 13. You hate this. Yeah, you're like, this is this is like the sellout version of that. And I mean, I'm sitting here telling you I think it's all shit, really. But I could see how an old school fan would feel a little bit betrayed by how clean it all is and how verse chorus verse it is. And again, I don't think necessarily that the old material was like avant-garde or progressive or anything like that. I think they really just didn't know what the hell they were doing. And I think that whenever you get to 13, they've got a producer in there that's like, okay, well let's craft these into rock songs. Let's get our verse chorus verse structure in place. And then we'll add all your crazy shit on top of it, your sound samples, your your uh, keyboard sounds, you know, everything. Well, how and many modern mainstream producers will let a band that's about the theatrics get away with putting out mediocre material? It's about the single. Our audience is going to buy the album, or now they're going to buy your song on iTunes, so we have to craft a song. In a way, this is a piece of the overall Mushroom Head product. This is the soundtrack to the stage show. And maybe I'm being unfair to say that they didn't put as much effort into the music as they could over time. But when you focus on the theatrics and your music is an accompaniment to that, then you're selling the music to promote the stage show so that I'll come see you live. And that's as rock and roll as you can possibly fucking be. Modern producer, I need a ballad. I need something heavy and powerful. I'm going to sing about Nowhere to Go. I'm going to sing about how the sun doesn't rise and make it into a big single. I like the record, but if I was an underground fan, indie fan of this band, I'm pissed. And I think that this was probably their big step. 
you know, it was probably their big step up because I don't think Double X was going to sell out stadiums. I think some of these songs might do that, but I don't think that Mushroom Head is ever going to be a stadium band because when enough people hear it, they're going to say, what the fuck is up with that guy's vocals? Why are there keyboards all over this? Why is there annoying piano everywhere? You know, like, why does it ha- why does it all have to be there? And you could say, oh, well, you know, the stage show. So it's like they've got all these, all these elements that could be really cool if utilized properly, but it's all just kind of thrown into a giant blender there, and you just kind of get random results from it. And uh, this is the only record, really, to me, that sounds like it was thought about a little bit, but it was only thought about a little bit. Like, it, it's very basic in its presentation, and I don't think that this is enough to get somebody to sell on that, to, to pay for that stage show. Like, I don't, I don't think it's compelling enough for me to be like, I'm going to go spend 20 bucks and see this band play live when, you know, the drumming's kind of bad, the vocals are kind of bad, and they're throwing all this extra distracting shit into their sound that really has no business being there. And I think that's as much as I can repeat myself on on one record. It's just that it's... I remember when 13 came out and I'd heard uh, the single Sun Doesn't Rise and I remember thinking, wow, you know, when did Mushroom Head sell out or whatever, you know? And then, you know, because I, I, I wasn't like in love with double x this was one of the highlights of the freddy versus jason soundtrack i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) well that that soundtrack also had from autumn to ashes on it and had uh in flames on it so you know those were the highlights for me it's october can we do a patreon episode on the freddy versus jason soundtrack yeah sure why not hell yeah yeah why not let's just let's just fucking do it whatever idea flows in our head let's just do it and that's the mindset of this band it's like just you know any random fucking you know idea we have let's just throw it out there and i don't know if this is just one guy that's doing all of this i think the implication is that it's skinny the drummer is kind of the puppet master so to speak and everybody just kind of works for him uh that that's the story i've gotten from people uh that are close to the band you know and uh after even speaking to skinny myself uh, i definitely get that impression from it that you know maybe maybe there's just one or two guys pulling the strings here and i think they're trying to keep a really consistent sound but the problem is is that the sound that they're sticking to isn't very profound and it's it, at best it's boring and at worst it's really fucking annoying some point in 2005 i think j-man yeah, left the band 05. yeah j-man's gone it had been 10 years it wasn't negative the internet would tell you it was but he just had been doing it for a long time and he didn't want to do it anymore. 2006 rolls around. Savior Sorrow. The first question myself and Dan asked, how are they going to replace J-Man? Can they replace J-Man? It's probably going to be the exact same thing. They're going to find a mediocre J-Man. They did not. They did not. Um, So you know how I spoke earlier about how the band pretended like they hit a home run with Jeffrey Nothing? On this record, there is still way too much Jeffrey Nothing. And I remember being worried. Like, I didn't even want to buy this record because I was afraid that they weren't going to replace J-Man and that it was just going to be an all-Jeffrey Nothing record, which, honestly, like, I'm trying to decide which would be better, um, an ice pick to the eye or listening to that record. (laughs) I'm afraid to call 2006 Dan because he'll probably tell me to listen to Zayo. Yeah. But I distinctly recall... 10 years ago you having a completely different opinion about this album well and there's a reason for that 
Um, no, I, I'm saying that if there was a record that was Jeffrey Nothing only, that I would I I couldn't decide whether an ice pick to the eye or, or listening to that record would be preferable. Um, the joke's not is, funny if you explain it. This is <laughs> this is different though. They replaced J Man with a guy named Waylon. Waylon cosmetically sounds exactly like J Man with his screaming. He doesn't really do the rapping very much. He he sticks more to the brutal vocal. There's something interesting that goes on as you listen to Save Your Sorrow. And that is that there are no longer just one set of clean vocals. There's now two clean vocals. One is Jeffrey Nothing, and I'm not going to even have to explain how I feel about that, but there's another voice in there singing clean, and it's Waylon, and it sounds really good. He is a strong, clean vocalist and a strong screamer, so he not only replaces J-Man, but actually adds something to the band's sound that was not there before, which Mushroomhead was in dire need of. Their shit was getting stale three records ago. And now you've got the clean production of 13, and you have a arguably superior replacement vocalist to the one you, you know, to the one you replaced. So my question is, listening to this record, why is Jeffrey Nothing even still on it? Waylon effectively replaces both vocalists and sounds a lot better overall. However, Jeffrey Nothing's been in the band since the very beginning of the band. So I guess if you're a fan, he has to be there. I don't think Waylon replaces J-Man. They had to change something. There is a difference between being a heavy vocalist who can scream, sing, speak rhythmically, which Waylon does very well. I was satisfied with replacement. I was actually amazed at how good it was. You know, I think that Waylon sounded really good, and whenever I heard him singing, I was just kind of like, this might be okay. You know, it was the first time I was kind of like, okay, this is fine. But beyond just the vocals, I know we're focusing a lot of vocals on this on this episode. Vocals are important but, I in mean, Mushroom Head. The drumming's not great, so I can't really <laughs> focus too much on that other than to say, like, dude, just stop. This album has some of the worst. It's yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, you talked about the production values of this record significantly lower than thirteen. I think it was a different recording approach because I think it's very clean, just like thirteen, but it's not loud like thirteen was. And I think this could just be a loudness wars thing. You know, two thousand six, people were starting to get like really weird about records being so damn loud. And so I think a lot of them, they just turned it all back down. And, you know, you can always adjust the volume of your songs on on your own stereo when you're listening to it. And we've talked about it before. This is when they started to really record albums digitally. They've been doing it previously, but this is when you could do it for less money. So all the records kind of had a thin feel. And with that approach, this is actually one of the heavier records that came out at that time. Yeah, and it is heavier, I think, than a lot of their previous material. There was a lot more focus on screaming, which I liked. Uh, a lot more, you know, heavy guitars, a lot more chunk, a lot more crunch. There's also some really weird, like, dancey, ravey parts on the album, uh, like we're hearing right now. That's which right. Is Metal of, Rave is back. Kind of distracting. <laughs> Clank did it better. Uh, but, you know, there's just this pervading feeling that like this might be all right because the vocals are better and the song craft is stronger than it was on 13 
The songs are a little bit more interesting. They're still not amazing. Like, this isn't, like, brilliant material by any stretch of the imagination. And again, they, they kind of run this... They run into this problem they hit frequently is whenever they try to go super heavy, it just comes across as weak and kind of lame overall. And, like, whenever they are heavy, they just feel like... They just feel like repeating just like a single like crunch over and over and over and over again for three minutes is some somehow acceptable as a heavy song. Who do you think you are, Disturbed? Oh wait, I already made that joke. Right, but like Disturbed wrote interesting songs. I'm not convinced that Mushroom Head can write interesting songs because they're trying to they're still trying to throw all this crazy extra shit in there, and it's just not going together the way it should. Save Your Sorrow is definitely much better. I think than 13 was and especially the two albums that come after it I think it was a really strong release for this band that's as nice as I could say it it's a very strong release for this band 2010 beautiful stories for ugly children alright give me a second to crack open another beer before I say anything okay this record starts off with exactly what I'm talking about about Mushroom Head trying to be a heavy band First song is called Come On. Starts off with them playing a semi-decent heavy chug riff. And then they just play that pretty much the rest of the song. And this is like their tough guy album. Like they're they're actually trying to come across as tough, which is like, I don't know, you're walking down the hallways of your high school and like the chess team attacks you. It is kind of what this feels like to me. And Jeffrey Nothing trying to be tough is one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard in my life. As in the chorus, he's like, do you really want to fuck with me tonight? <laughs> you know, Jeffrey, I think I probably could with very little consequence because I'm not intimidated by this at all because up to this point in your career, you have been playing the nerd role and hey, I'm, you know, I'm really into alternative music and uh, I wear giant hot topic pants with like big plastic chains that hang off of the back of them and uh, my hair's dyed and I really like horror movies and uh, I play video games and I love my D&D group more than I love any girlfriend I will ever have and uh, you know I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know man that you know if you, if you fuck with me you know I might like I might find out where you work you know and then like leave you a negative Yelp review yeah motherfucker what are you gonna do about that that's how that song sounds to me. Just I don't like, fucking know where this album came from. This is just, it is heralded by their fans as being a return to heavy, which is hilarious to me because we never were there at any point in the, in the past. We were never a truly heavy band. You know, um, the guitars are loud. That doesn't make it heavy and repetitive. Um, the drums are significantly thin. Jeffrey, nothing's vocals are annoying as fuck on this record. Waylon sounds amazing because I love that dude. I really do. Like his his gritty delivery sounds so much more real and so much more convincing than Jeffrey's just you know like ninety year old man that thinks he's in a metal band sound. <laughs> Which I mean, that's, sit down, Grandpa. That's a sound, right? I, that's that's got to be what they were going for because they if that if that was the intent from the beginning, then hats off. Like perfectly executed plan. I don't get it, and I don't want to get it. Um, this record is annoying to me because, like, I'm going to give it some credit for being similar to Save Your Sorrow and that the songwriting's a little bit better, the vocals are a little bit better, the sound quality is actually a little bit better. It's loud, it's aggressive, but it's just not believable. 
And it's like, I mean, they put that record out in, tw- in 2010. But it still seems to be geared towards, like, Hot Topic Kids from 2002. This whole, like, hey, man, if you really think about it, clowns are actually scary. Like, that's their whole, that's their whole fucking image. That's every heavy band from the 90s. Are if all you can those call heavy them all band, a band. Are the, all those heavy <laughs> bands from the 90s in 2010 still doing that? Like, I'm just, I don't know. Like, I feel like every member of this band goes home to, like, a mansion filled with, like, art deco pieces and stuff. Like, it just seems really outdated to me. That's, I guess that's all I'm trying to say. And, you know, I'm being very mean. And I think that I'd be more willing to defend this band's image if they had more substance to them other than this image. It, it's really one of the only things about the band that you can judge, like, objectively, is their image. Because if you go by the music alone, you're, it's going to be disappointment after disappointment. They're, they're never going to release that song, that one where you're like, yeah, man, that right there, that's me. I identify with that. That might be the most honest review of this band ever. And several bands of mediocrity. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about Cannibal Corpse in a couple weeks, and I'm probably going to say something similar. We're going to talk about Tool at some point. Yeah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. If you're a fan of Mushroom Head especially an old-school fan, you are incredibly aware of their yearly Halloween shows that are old-school Mushroom Head. So even when J-Man wasn't in the band, off doing his hip-hop thing, he would still show up in the classic get-up and appear on stage, usually for Bwomp. So you got to see this really cool thing where J-Man and Waylon shared the stage. Sort sort of cool thing. Cool for fans of this band. Then there were a couple shows where Waylon couldn't perform. I don't know if he lost his voice or if he got sick, what the deal was. Or was like, why the fuck am I in this band? That happened later. (laughs) So Mushroom Head would show up with J-Man and they would play all the old songs. And people read way into it. And J-Man said on multiple occasions, I'm just filling in for the guy. Well, it's like a company, right? Hey, this guy's sick, so we got to pull this guy back in. He's already trained, so he doesn't need training. Exactly. He's good to go. Let's just put him out in the field and go. How did J-Man return to Mushroom Head in any way thinking that Waylon was going to stay in? And what I mean by that is, as a fan, The Righteous and the Butterfly was pretty cool. Kind of like Haste the Day, when they all came back and made an album together, meaning the entire history of the band, essentially. I don't know how this could be bad for fans. Even if you're that guy that hates Waylon because he's not J-Man, I'd be happy if I had all three vocalists on one record, and I got it. I'm going to cut you off there. Go right ahead. (laughs) It's never a good idea to have three vocalists on a record, Death Star notwithstanding. That was at least three vocalists that all sounded the same. Now, at this point, we've got two really good vocalists and a shitty one all thrown together into this mix of I don't even know what. Like, the drumming is fucking, like, all triggered, which is really weird for 2014. Like, I kind of thought we were over that, people. But apparently, Mushroom Head feels like they have to be a super heavy band, so they're going to, you know, have these, like, triggered double bass rolls and shit, and it just doesn't sound good into my ears vocally this is just all over the place i feel like there's too many vocalists in the room and nobody really gets to shine 
on their own like they should be able to. And honestly, when they're screaming, Waylon sounds so much like J-Man that it's like nearly impossible to tell the two of them apart. You have a record with a whole bunch of random shit thrown together on it of parts that don't really mesh well and with songwriting that is just all over the place. And mathematically more random shit because you have a third vocalist now. Right, so you, you just added to your shit salad, essentially. And you end up with a record called The Righteous and the Butterfly, which has no meaning. Again, it's just one of those, what's a really cool out-of-this-world alternative name that we can throw on this? We already used Beautiful Stories for Ugly Children, so you know now let's take it even further. Guys, I got a great idea. I just watched the last season of American Horror Story, and it was about this like demented circus, and like that's what we are. That's like what we. That's how we self-identify, you know. And 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 you know, I think people are really gonna love it, and it's gonna have all three vocals on it, and blah 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 blah. It's a whole bunch of like really poorly planned songs that don't flow together within the songs. And it just seems like there's three vocalists fighting for power. I would say that the best song on the whole record is the song called QWERTY, where the vocalists actually play off of each other pretty well, and they come together and have, you know, kind of an anthemic chorus. And I think that it's really strong and probably one of the best Mushroom Head songs. I think if you take the Dan approach to this conversation... There's one good song out of seven records. Yeah. I think that's the best song on the record. Mushroom Head as a whole could best be described as a mixed bag of mediocrity. There's an area of metal that I don't know who it appeals to. I'm a guitarist. I'm a drummer. I like Mudvayne. I like Pantera. I don't know who Hell Yeah is for. But I think it's for people that only get drunk on the weekends and don't actually listen to the music that they're listening to. Mushroom Head has an appeal because of their stage show. I don't know who you could give this record to for the first time and have them come back and be like, that was pretty cool, what else do you got? I would question if they're actually listening to the music. And for the quantity of vocals that this band has, you can't not do what Dan does. You can't ignore the lyrics. And I don't know what they mean. I only read the lyrics to like the first two Mushroom Head albums. It's all a whole bunch of weird, like, wannabe goth lyrics about suffering. You got your token anti-religion song where they're like, oh, I'm dyslexic and I'm I'm an agnostic, dyslexic insomniac. And I lie in bed every night wondering if there is a dog. Okay. Like, I guess that makes a cool t-shirt or something, but, like, it's basically like a dad joke. It's <laughs> it's not really that funny, and it's kind of pathetic because it's very look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And a lot of their lyrics are like that, and, like, they throw Star Wars references in, which under normal circumstances would be cool. But this band is like, look at me, look at how fucking cool and goth and alternative I am. Like, look As at opposed it, to a tool that says, don't look at me, don't look at me, look at the screen. Something like that. Um, <laughs> but again, Tool's a vastly better band than Mushroom Head. And so... That depends on your definition of better. Oh, no. their Tool is a good band. Like, I don't even want to get into this argument with you, but like, 
Mushroom Head's not even on the same fucking street as Tool. Mushroom Head's like in your friend's basement. They're like, don't worry, guys. One day we're going to really take off. We're going to release that song and it's going to be amazing. And they've just, they haven't, they've had lots of chances and they've never produced that song. The lyrics are dumb. The music is mediocre at best. And the vocals are annoying as fuck. All those things considered, I really can't say much else about the band without coming off like a total asshole. And I know when this episode posts, people are going to be like, it's mean spirited. They should have never covered this band. And I will tell you that listening to Mushroom Head over the years, I was not as upset about it as I am today. Because this week I had to listen to all of it in one stretch. And I came away from it looking at it as a whole. And as a whole, this is one of the very few cases where the bad outweighs the good. This is not a band that was once great and then fell from grace. This is not a band that got better over time. This is a band that has basically been wallowing in a sea of their own shit for decades. And again, I just, I don't understand the appeal and I don't understand how they've established as big of a fan base as they have established. Would that be your final thought? Absolutely. I'm done talking about this shit. Somewhere there is a group of people that listen to Slipknot because of their image. Old school Mudvayne because of their image. I'll throw Insane Clown Posse in there because of their image. That same person watches Repo the Genetic Opera and thinks it's the greatest thing that's ever been produced because of what it looks like. Mushroom Head is an example where what you're listening to might be mediocre. Sometimes that's okay. The easy band to pick on for being mediocre is Godsmack. Godsmack was extremely mediocre, but got a lot of hype. They got more mediocre over time. Sometimes it is okay just to listen to the music and not have to worry about it. But if you're the kind of person that can't just listen to it, you definitely don't want to listen to all of it. I'd give The Righteous and the Butterfly to somebody who'd never heard this band and say, what do you think? I'd also give that person double X. How do you really feel about that band you like when their best record is a greatest hits? What's your album of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Elegant and Dying by Virgin Black. My album of the week was A Thought Crushed My Mind by Blindside. That happened today. (laughs) Why not? Well, it's because Blindside is a good band where the good outweighs the bad. What bad? Well, there was some bad. Go back and listen to it. How much bad was there in Blindside? Not too much. Not not this much, I can tell you that. Well, hopefully nobody forgets that we're going to talk about bands that we like and bands that we don't like and bands that we've never heard before. I appreciate your honesty, sir. <laughs> Why, thank you. At least at the end of all of this, I can be like, well, one guy did. And on that note, this has been episode 84 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion, and please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash Metal. 
we have some sweet perks. Thank you for your money. <laughs> <laughs>